I was doing a day hike with my girlfriend in a national park in Canada. About six hours up, three hours down so we were pretty tired and trying to make time before the sun set on the mountains. As we are descending the mountain, I spot three men coming up the trail still very far off and something just felt off. I can't tell you why I had the initial feeling. After thinking about it, we had started up the mountain a little later than we had planned, and there was no one parked at the trailhead, so we absolutely didn't expect people coming up after us, especially since most of the trail is in dense tree cover until you get about four hours up so there is no point unless you are doing the whole trail. Trying not to freak her out, we stop and I try and get a better view up above us on a little ridge. I see them as they walk through a little clearing in the path, and I notice none of them have packs on, and all three are carrying what I thought might have been rifles, but no packs for sure. Jeans, windbreakers, or sweaters, and the fact that we were in the very middle of one of the most highly patrolled and enforced national parks in Canada means these guys were not hunting. And again, I couldn't really tell what they were holding, but I just had a bad, bad feeling. I told my girlfriend I didn't want to meet these guys on the trail as I had a bad feeling, and we pulled a Frodo under a tree stump like 30 feet off the trail. We waited for like 30 minutes-ish and hear them come up the trail almost on top of us. They were speaking lower, and I didn't really want to go for a closer look at them, but it sounded like they were arguing as we only caught a couple raised words. As they were passing almost the spot we left the trail, they suddenly stopped on the trail and went quiet for a couple seconds. I held my breath, squeezing her hand. A few seconds pass more, and I can feel my muscles tense. I had my four-inch blade trail knife and a leatherman, but even if the things they were carrying were just sticks, I couldn't fight them if they saw us. I'm six foot and 160 pounds. I'm not much of a fighter. Suddenly, they started arguing for a while longer and headed back down the trail. We waited ten more minutes and headed down the trail after them, going cautiously. At this point, we were both pretty significantly freaked out. When we neared the trailhead, I stopped her and headed out around the side of the parking lot and saw the three guys more clearly. They had a big old red truck and absolutely had rifles. They waited around in the parking lot, taking turns peeking in my car, looking up the trailhead, and after 45 minutes of waiting them out, the sun came down, they piled in and took off. I didn't get a license plate off the truck because it was facing the wrong way, but I stopped at the ranger station on the way out of the mountains and let them know, but never heard back. I have no idea what might have happened if I didn't stop. We pass plenty of people on most of the hikes we do, but seriously that was just too spooky for me. I swear that what I'm about to tell you is true and I must clarify that I did work in a secretive government program. Under the Obama administration, we were tasked with analyzing cryptids, those mysterious and often elusive creatures like Bigfoot and Dogman. Our program operated far from the public eye, hidden away in the shadows, and most of our work was classified. One day, while deep in the heart of our research, we received a startling piece of information that had everyone in the office buzzing. Something huge was being captured at a local national park, and the government wanted us to investigate. 
The urgency was palpable, and it felt as if we were about to be given a unique opportunity to uncover the truth behind these enigmatic beings. I was part of a small team, and we arrived at the National Park just as the sun was beginning to set. The air was thick with anticipation, and our hearts raced as we ventured deeper into the wilderness. Armed with equipment for data collection and recording, we had no idea what we were about to witness. As we journeyed into the park, the sense of urgency became overwhelming. I couldn't help but feel a strange mixture of excitement and trepidation. We followed the distant sounds of vehicles and people, which led us to a clearing bathed in the dimming twilight. There it was, a creature beyond belief sprawled on the ground. My heart pounded in my chest as I gazed at the enormous being that lay motionless before us. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. This creature was colossal, with matted fur and a frame that seemed almost inhuman. Its eyes were open, but there was no life left in them. The sheer size of it was astonishing, and I couldn't believe we were finally face to face with something so extraordinary. The scene was surreal. But what shocked me even more were the people surrounding the creature, dressed in what appeared to be police uniforms. They were pulling a massive cadaver-like bag, presumably meant to contain the colossal creature. It was a surreal and unsettling sight, and it made me wonder just how long the government had known about these cryptids and what their intentions were. I decided to take a risk and document the scene. I stealthily reached for my camera, lifted it towards the extraordinary sight before me, and pressed the shutter. The flash of the camera illuminated the area for just an instant, but that was long enough for one of the individuals in police attire to spot me. Fear clenched at my chest, and my heart raced as the realization hit me that I had been seen. I knew that I needed to escape, or the consequences could be dire. In a blind panic, I turned and fled, leaving behind my colleagues my work and the secrets we had spent years unearthing. I never returned to my government job. The fear of what I had stumbled upon that day haunted me. I couldn't shake the feeling that we were just scratching the surface of something far larger and more enigmatic than I had ever imagined. The government's involvement, the creatures we were investigating, and the secrets they held were too much for me to bear. My life took a different path after that day, but I knew one thing for sure. Something truly extraordinary existed in our world, something that was kept hidden for reasons unknown. The images I captured remain a secret, buried away, just like the cryptids we studied. Had the lookout watch on the bow of a tall ship at three or so on a clear night. Beautiful sailing weather, calm seas, could see every star, etc., you basically have binoculars and look at the water ahead of the ship, making little circles from the horizon towards the ship, then looking to the right, doing the same, moving all the way around the ship, with frequent looks ahead to make sure nothing's in your way. As I was doing this, I eventually got to looking behind the ship, where I saw a huge cloud of smoke coming off the horizon, and it was lit up orange like a ship had exploded in a huge fireball. There was nothing else around the cloud in the sky or the water. I estimated it to be just over the horizon eight miles. I hurriedly called to the bridge and reported some sort of fireball or explosion. 
As the office of the deck was checking it out, the smoke moved to the side, and then the moon started to rise. I was looking at the moonrise, and it was very orange since the moon was on the horizon, and there was one single wispy cloud in front of it. The cloud was backlit by this orange moon. The effect only lasted for a few seconds. If I had scanned that section a few seconds before or a few seconds later, I would have seen some part of the moon and maybe a little cloud next to it. But they just happened to line up right when I looked. Then there was the time I heard a she-devil banshee howl around the same time in the morning while I was the office of the deck on another ship. Never figured out what that was, don't care to. Has anyone encountered granola-like people? I am a 20-year-old male and for years I've witnessed two granola-textured people. My first encounter was at the age of five when I lived in my home in Kansas. They were about three feet two inches tall, with yellow eyes and skin that was textured like granola. I would wake up in the middle of the night to see these two things staring back at me. I would often just close my eyes really hard or turn the other way. The countless times I'd tell my parents they'd brush it off as a kid just being a kid understandable. Although one day when I woke up after them being there the previous night, there were two sets of tiny handprints on my bedside. They weren't human handprints, but more of two sets of where someone put their fingerless hands. The handprints were made up of a disgusting-smelling granola-textured substance. My parents, baffled by it, brushed it off as me having a midnight snack. These encounters happened the entire three years I lived in Kansas. Now I've lived in several other states where I continued to encounter these things. Now I understand as a child we are impressionable to certain things, but I know I physically saw these things and continued to see them well into my teen years. I have encounters in the other states I've lived, but this post would be an essay. Has anyone encountered anything similar? I have yet to find a similar case to this and would be interested to hear from the community. Around 15 years ago, I was in the Swiss Alps snowboarding. At night, I went outside to smoke a cigarette and heard a strange howling sound. I thought nothing at that time and went inside again to the cozy fire, a beer, and a book. An hour later, I went outside again to smoke, and there was still the strange howling. What animal does such strange noises, I thought. But not minding, I went inside again to fire, beer, and book. Around midnight, I went for my good night smoke. Scanning the mountainside while listening to the howling that was still going on, I saw a small black dot in the white landscape, which I thought wasn't there before, and it was also in the general direction of the sound. By now I was bursting with curiosity, so I took my gear and went outside. After an hour navigating through the hilly mountainside, I was near the source of the howling, and I could see the black dot in a snowfield some hundred meters down the hill. I must have bypassed it while orientating by sound. From how big it was in the distance, I thought it could be a fox or maybe a small lynx. Careful, I got nearer. When I was some twenty meters away, I shockingly discovered that it was a little boy crying or screaming or howling. He wasn't dressed for a winter night either. 
When I talked to him, he told me that he ran away from home because his mean sister destroyed his favorite toy. In the end, I had to carry him home because he couldn't feel his feet anymore. They were making holidays in a secluded house in the mountains. Since there was light in the house and smoke out of the chimney, I let him walk the last ten meters to his house alone and waited till he was inside. I solo sail a lot, I learned to sail when I was little, and have done three transatlantic cruises so far. This one time I was doing a transatlantic crossing from the Canaries to St. Lucia. It was late and I was on deck doing an equipment check as per routine when sailing alone. So I am six days into the 14-day journey, and it's just nothingness all around. I mean absolutely no light save for the stars and the moon. I can literally remember this like it was yesterday because I have never seen anything like it before. I was on deck and all of a sudden it was bright, like midday full sun bright. Mind you, it was near 2 a.m. at this point, so it made literally no sense. Immediately I assumed it had to be a flare, someone needed help. I came to a full stop, lowered the sails and began radioing on all the emergency channels in Spanish and English. I did this for almost two hours, circling around and checking the radio. There was nothing. Around the second hour I gave up. I marked the location of my search pattern and kept going. I had no idea what it was. Never saw anything like it again. The whole night lit up like the sun was out for a good three-four seconds. Unbelievable. Last year, my brother was driving through the dark roads of South Shore, Massachusetts, near the Bridgewater Triangle. It was dark, and there's limited street lights in the area. As he was driving, he noticed a cloaked figure standing on the tree line at the side of the road. He described it as wearing white robes and looking almost like a clansman, but without the pointy hat. As he drove by, the figure took notice and pivoted towards him very quickly making direct eye contact. He became frightened enough that he sped away. I often wonder what he might have seen that night. Most of the town is very dense forest, and the roads are unwalkable with no shoulders, so whatever it was likely came out of the woods. It unsettles me knowing the amount of acreage it came out of, and whatever this person, if it was a person, was doing on the side of the road watching cars. In July 2018, I was staying in a very isolated region with limited access behind three log gates 20 miles south of Whitethorn, California on a primitive 4x4 road. This place is at the end of the road, a lost world of primeval forest on the northern border of a vast green belt spreading from Shelter Cove on the Lost Coast east to Highway 101 and south to Fort Bragg, California. At about 3 a.m. I was awakened. It was a hot, dark, and completely silent July night in these mountains. Something above my tent location, approximately two to three hundred meters, began knocking on wood. It's best described as loud wax by a big club or branch on a tree trunk. They started one knock which got my attention. There was a brief hesitation, then several more knocks, but randomly timed. The knocking was loud, so loud that it echoed down the canyon in the stillness. 
The event lasted only a minute or two. My first thoughts were that there was no one on the mountain who could be out here in the middle of a primitive and protective area. These knocks were from something large and no North American animal could have made them. Listening intently while my mind tried to wrap around how the noise was made, I began to wonder about Bigfoot legends. The night fell silent again. Afterward, I told a few locals and learned that there had been many Bigfoot sightings near Piercy and north of Willow Creek. Fast forward to two weeks ago, while waiting at the first locked gate to the same conservation area, I heard two distinct vocalizations which cannot be explained. As I waited in the dusk for about 45 minutes, waiting to meet a party at the gate who was running late, I heard a very loud wail, scream, or call that I'd never heard before in nature. The sound was coming from the heavily wooded area above me about two to three hundred meters. I instantly knew where I had heard such an unfamiliar call about three years previous. There's a few second delay from the first call, then a few more, then silence for about a minute leading me to wonder if this whole experience was surreal. It thought that it was an unknown animal or some kind of implausible prank. It was loud and echoing down the mountain as though some huge creature could belt with the lungs of Pavarotti, only much louder. The chance of it being a prankster in this wilderness was highly unlikely. Then began another call out at about three to four hundred meters to the north. It was also just as loud but came only three calls in succession. It had a distinct higher pitch. This absolutely blew my mind because the first call might be attributed to an elk on steroids, but the response brought chills down my spine. I'll never forget that second vocalization as it was so unique, and this was obviously communication between two individuals in possibly a rudimentary language. Another experience happened just the night before the dual vocalizations on a Friday evening in early November 2019. I had just moved into a cabin that my brother and I rented located along an extremely rugged canyon area of the Maddle River. It was dusk, quite dark already in the forest. I was outside looking at the stars, taking in the newness of these rugged surroundings. Suddenly, there was a screaming that was so loud and so foreboding that I could only listen in amazement. It was the loudest screaming I've ever heard. I thought it was produced by some kind of banshee from a horror film. The screaming continued at full throttle for over five minutes. I know mountain lions can scream, but nothing like this. It sounded much louder, more guttural, literally as if someone had set up loudspeakers and played the bloodiest scream that Hollywood could produce. I wondered if someone was up on the mountainside pranking me as a newcomer to the neighborhood. I listened for a bit then went inside and told my brother about it because it was so unnerving. Bigfoot did not ever enter my mind. But then at dusk, the very next evening, I heard two calls while waiting at the gate. I've since been over and over in my mind why have I been so lucky to hear and experience these mysterious sounds, much less three distinct vocalizations which cannot be explained in a 24-hour period. I've been to a lot of different wilderness areas during my life, but those sounds in that specific location were simply remarkable. I've been searching for answers to this for years, but never found anything like it or that could explain. 
Basically, I just moved into a new house in a suburban-ish area in northern UK. A few months after we were settled, we invited a friend round for some drinks. At somewhere around 1am, 2am, a very loud sound could be heard throw out the house. The closest thing I can compare it to is microphone feedback. It was very high-pitched and almost hurt to hear. Except it was more of a defined note than feedback. It started off quietly and was drawn out in the distance, but it sounded like it got progressively closer and louder each time it rung. I say rung because it was like it faded in and out a few times, almost like a long tone. The whole thing lasted only about 20 seconds. Safe to say we were all absolutely freaked out afterwards and had to confirm to each other that we had actually heard it the same. We all brushed it off as too much to drink and some weird electric noise somewhere. Because it was so out of the blue, freaky, and over so quickly nobody thought to record it. A few months later my fiancé and I were in bed. He was asleep by this point and I was trying to get to sleep that's when I heard it again. This time it wasn't as loud, almost as if it didn't come as close, but it sounded as if it was traveling. I woke my fiancé up as I was freaked out again, but he was too sleepy to acknowledge anything at this point. The final time it happened was when I was in bed again. This time it woke me up. I didn't bother to wake my fiancé this time as it seemed much quieter this time. Neither of the times when in bed did I have time to record it as I'd have to cross the room to my phone to do so. Any ideas what this could be? We've put it down to some kind of electrical sound. It only seems to happen at night or in the early hours of the morning. The first time we heard it confirms that I am not the only one who can hear it. I live on an ordinary street with an office building nearby and a few small shops a street away. The area just outside of here is quite rural. I have also heard about these sky trumpets, however the sounds I have heard are nothing like any of these. No Google search has yielded any results either. It was just so loud and odd. It's driving me crazy, I'd just love to have an explanation, or even someone who might have experienced something similar. My dad hunts a lot in deep Florida swamps using hound dogs, so the pack of dogs chase the deer and he chases the dogs, and it leads him to the deer. Well late one night his pack wouldn't come to him when he called them. They were chasing something, something that was freaking them out. It was late and he was ready for them to stop the chase so he could gather them up and call it a night. He also had a suspicion based off how excited they were that they were tracking a bear and not a deer. Eventually he gets to a shallow but wide creek that the dogs won't pass, and in the twilight he sees what they were tracking. It was about six foot two, covered in reddish black hair, walking upright and stunk. Whatever it was, turned back as it was crossing the creek and locked eyes with my dad and his dogs. My dad says it wasn't a bear or a man. Then it disappeared into the bush on the other side. My dad was so freaked out he ran and left his dogs because they still refused to stop chasing it and wouldn't come to him. He only ever found half of his hound pack. He's only ever told family about it. This was maybe ten years ago, and I was sailing with my family, 
moving a sailboat from the Connecticut shore to Boston. And this happened on an extremely foggy day. I also remember the day being pretty windless as well, so we were just motoring along instead of sailing. Now, the general procedure for sailing in such thick fog is to use radar and foghorns to try to prevent any collisions from happening. At some point, we started hearing huge, loud horn blasts, just repeating from somewhere to our right in the fog. It seemed normal enough, someone signaling their position to anyone in the vicinity, then after maybe 15-20 minutes of sailing and listening to these horn blasts, we eventually came upon what was making them. Maybe 100 feet from our boat, a huge-ass submarine appeared and looked like it's just sitting still. The weird thing was the suddenness of its appearance. Maybe not the creepiest thing in this thread, but an enormous black shape appearing out of the fog at sea was pretty creepy to me at the time. I was on my way walking to the Dollar General store one early night in October 2016. I live west of Philadelphia in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. When I got ready to cross the street to where I was going, I noticed that there was a large black car, possibly an older Crown Victoria, parked on the side of the Dollar General store. The car had its interior lights on. As I walked closer, I could see someone in the driver's seat. The person had long black hair and had on sunglasses, so I couldn't see the person's eyes. As I looked closer, I could see that the person's face was really white, like milk white. It appeared that the person was just looking straight ahead and wasn't looking around. The person was moving a little bit, so it wasn't fake. I saw no mouth, no nose, and no facial hair. The face was just smooth white. I couldn't tell if they had ears because of their long black hair and shades. They were just parked and sitting there with the car interior light on as if they wanted to be seen for some reason. It's just weird how it just so happened to be at night when not many people were out as if it was planned that way. I was scared and creeped out. When I came out of the Dollar General, I went home by walking all the way around the block to not pass that person. I'm saying person. It's more like being. It was scary and creepy. I first thought I was seeing things. I know I'm not the only person who has seen that. I never told anyone because I felt that people would think I was nuts. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but could this have been a so-called men in black? The entire scenario just didn't make any sense. One night I returned to my parents' house. I was still in my late teens sober. On the side of the road, I noticed a man close to my mailbox wearing all white. At first, I thought it was a jogging suit. Then, as I got closer, it seemed like he was dressed like Colonel Sanders. At the time, I lived on a dirt road with very few neighbors and thought it very odd to see somebody in white on a muddy road at about 9.30 at night. I kind of chuckled to myself how odd, but I never even really made direct eye contact or got a great look at the guy. He appeared to be trying to back off the road to not get muddy when I drove by. My driveway was about 150 feet long through the woods, and I had just parked when I decided I should turn around and drive back down there and see if the gentleman needed help. 
I was thinking that it was very odd for somebody to be all in white on this muddy road, and maybe this guy needed help. Of course, by the time I drove back to the end of the driveway, he was gone. I drove by my neighbor's house, but it didn't look like anybody was home, and there's no way he could have made it any further than that. To this day, I don't know what or who that was. I wanted to ask whether someone may have an explanation to what I could have encountered. I was walking home from work yesterday after dusk, yet it was still somewhat light outside, as during these times in Denmark, the light persists for quite long, and at three separate occasions encountered or heard something strange that I cannot fully comprehend or explain logically. The first one was a 50-centimeter tall guesstimate shadowy or dark bipedal figure running at high speed away from me, which I only saw in the corner of my eye and did not pay much attention to. 300 meters further, I saw what at first appeared to be human in dark clothes, walking around 20-30 meters in front of me, but when I took a better look, it seemed like it was just legs up to around knee height. After I realized what I have seen and could not make any logical conclusion of it, it turned to the left and walked through a tree line, after which it seemed to have switched to four legs and disappeared by the time I walked where it had been standing previously. What's even weirder is the fact that there is nowhere to hide in that area, and I had clear vision of where it should have gone, and even checked where it went into the tree line. It vanished. At this point, I felt eerie and creeped out, as there usually are not many people walking around, but it happens, though they always stay fully visible and never disappear. The third time was almost at my house door, where I have heard rustling and movements in bushes, where cats usually hide, but they don't make such loud noises. The thing that I saw disappear into the tree line somewhat resembled a Fresno night crawler, but it had human legs and was dark, black, shadowy. This was in Copenhagen metropolitan area, if it helps anyhow. I paddled about 240 miles up a river in Canada a few years back. It gets to a point where you end up being completely alone in the wild with no civilization to be found anywhere. So we had a couple of interesting encounters. Both of the ones that really stick out happened at night. One of the first nights we're out there, I'm sleeping in my tent, comfy as can be. All of a sudden, I feel a big snout poking my head through the tent and sniffing. I didn't know what it was and that it dawned on me. A black bear got curious and decided to sniff around the campsite, and he ended up sniffing my face for like three minutes. I didn't want to move because I didn't want to startle him, so I was just lying there as this bear sticks his nose in my face and starts huffing. I swear I almost shit myself. The second encounter had the potential to be scary, but I was too busy stifling laughter to really feel fear. One of the last nights we were out there, we decided to set up camp on a little beach. It seemed like a good spot, but after we set up camp, I'm walking around and I notice some moose tracks in the sand. We had set up camp on a little moose watering hole. No big deal. I'm sleeping in my tent and I hear heavy footprints outside. Sick, a moose. Cool beans. I slowly open my tent zipper, as quiet as possible so I wouldn't scare the thing. 
I'm super excited to see my first moose, except I didn't see the moose. At least not the whole thing. All I saw was this bull's giant dick dangling down maybe three feet in front of my face. I recently moved into a new home. Since moving here, I've felt my entire bed vibrating low frequency, moderate amplitude, nothing like a phone vibration, more like driving five miles per hour over rumble strips on a highway, but silent three times now. My partner was over one night and woke me up to ask why the bed was vibrating because they felt it. I did too at that point and I was just like, I don't know. Maybe the train that is about a mile away was just the right mass and speed to induce a resonance in the hill my home is on. But that's all I can come up with. Hasn't happened in a couple of months, but I keep waiting for it to happen so I can run outside to see if I can hear the train and confirm the hypothesis. I have checked seismograph records online and came up with nothing. The frequency and amplitude of the vibrations don't seem to correspond to anything so that train thing is all I've got. The floor isn't vibrating when this is occurring making it even more strange. There are no major roads and no construction for miles. No underground drainage here either since I'm in the county. I have an IKEA bed frame with the drawers under it. And no, there are no vibrating toys in them. Only clothing. Any ideas? This is an account of an incident that happened in 1974 when I was 15 years old, living in the city of Puebla, Mexico with my family. On this day, my younger sister, Janet, she was 14, her best friend, Shay also an American living in Puebla, and I were gathering in the afternoon so we could take a bus together to the city of Coyula to make clay for art class. While Janet and I were walking around the block to pick up Shay at her house, we saw an American man appearing to be in his mid to late thirties, walking in the opposite direction of us on the other side of the street. He was carrying a large duffel bag over his shoulder. Janet and I started speaking loudly in English, hoping we would get his attention but to no avail. When we arrived at Shay's house, we insisted that she hurry for the possibility of catching up with that guy. By the time she was finally ready, we were sure we would have missed him, but instead, he was in the same place where we saw him last. We already told Shay about this guy, and after seeing him now, and walking in the same direction, we all spoke up loudly in English, hoping again to get his attention. This time it worked. From across the street, he yelled to us, Do you speak English? He crossed the street to the side we were on and told us he was looking for a specific address, taking out a piece of paper where the address was written and showing it to us. We did not recognize the street name. It was a long Aztec name beginning with the letter T. Since we were on Tehuacan Street, he thought the street we were on was the same street, but it was not. We decided to walk him to the house number on Tehuacan Street that he had on his paper. While walking to that address, each of us would think different things, especially lots of questions, and he would look at each of us and answer our thoughts out loud. He was reading our minds. For instance, I thought to myself, I wonder what his name is, and he would look at me and reply, Richard. Janet said she was wondering where he was from, and he turned to Janet and just said, 
Santa Barbara, California. Of course, I didn't know why he looked at Janet and said that, but I was catching on quickly to understand that he read our minds as none of us said a word, and he just answered our thought questions while facing the person who had the thought. At one point, he looked directly at Shay and said that she shouldn't worry about James Shay's boyfriend and that he, James, wouldn't be jealous. Later, Shay said she was worried about what James might think about the situation of joining this attractive guy. We arrived at the house that had that number he had on his paper. It was in the direction of where we were going to catch the bus to Calula. Because he did not know any Spanish, we spoke with the maid who answered the door at that house. The maid said that this was not the house he was looking for, and the people who lived there were not the people Richard was looking for, and she closed the door. Richard continued addressing our thoughts, and after the door closed, I said out loud, Hey, we probably have a map at our house. It was an apartment and could find the address from there. As you might have gathered by now, we shade Janet, and I abandoned the journey to Colula to make clay. Everyone agreed that this was a good idea, so we turned back and walked to our apartment. Once there, Richard, Shay, and Janet were joined at the dining room table by my sister, Louise, the eldest of us three. Our maid, Anna, met Richard, as did my mother, and Anna, and later my mother, pulled me aside and chased me for bringing a stranger to our home. When my mother confronted me, I replied that she wasn't living her Christian values. If she thought it was all right to put a person out who needed help, I sometimes was a sassy kid. It turned out we didn't have a map at our home, so I ran around the apartment building asking neighbors if they had one. No one did. I went to the ground floor beauty shop and asked the ladies in there, and no one had one, nor had they heard of the street. One beautician suggested we take a bus, and before getting on, asked the bus driver if they knew of the street, because she said bus drivers know the city and her streets best. All the time I was running around, Richard, both my sisters Louise and Janet Shea, and my mother were sitting around the round dining room table. I would stop by periodically to give them updates. During one of these updates, I noticed that Richard had poured out a bunch of salt from the salt shaker, and in front of him, he had formed a pyramid, complete with four flat sides and a pointed top. I remember looking at that and thinking it was odd, but was more focused on trying to find a map for Richard. Later, Anna commented to me that he was rude to make such a mess on the table with the salt. Since no one in the building had a map, we took the advice of going to a bus stop and asking a bus driver about the address. We went to the bus stop that was around the corner, on the street where Shay lived and where we first found Richard. That bus stop was across the street from a park that normally was crowded with people, but was totally empty when we got there. Richard, Shay, Janet, and I waited at that corner for the buses. Buses in a Mexican city are plentiful, and they would come by about every five minutes or so. When the buses arrived and stopped, I took the written address and asked the bus driver if they knew the street. Five buses went by in all. A couple of the bus drivers replied that if the spelling and the name were changed, they might know the street, while all the others said there was no such street. I had thought that I would continue with Richard to his destination as I have said before. He was attractive. In a little bit, you will see why this is significant.
After the fifth bus left, we stood there quietly. Shay, Janet, and I were facing Richard and the empty park behind him, while Richard was facing the opposite way, with his back to the park. His duffel bag was on the ground next to him. We were all silent, and then suddenly, poof, in a split second, a large, old-time taxi-looking bomb of a car appeared right before our eyes. No engine sound, facing the wrong direction on a one-way street, and just behind Richard. We Shay, Janet, and I were totally flabbergasted, breathless, in total shock. The car appeared old, with a splotchy green paint job, light green, with faded areas here and there. Directly after it appeared a man who looked and sounded exactly like Alfred Hitchcock, seated in the driver's seat, and having his elbow out the open window resting his arm there, said, Young man, are you looking for tea? Street? He said the exact name of the street that no one had heard of before. His voice was totally Alfred Hitchcock's voice, too. Immediately, Richard picked up his duffel bag, turned around, and said, Yes, I am. At that, Alfred Hitchcock closed his hands together as in prayer, then opened them with a map opening between his hands. He said to Richard, This is where we are, and this is where we're going, pointing out the places on the map. Richard was leaning towards Alfred Hitchcock and getting this information, and they continued talking to each other. Shay leaned against the car to catch her breath, as we were all so blown away by the car and Alfred Hitchcock's appearance. Janet sharply told Shay to stop leaning on the car, because if it disappeared like it appeared, she would be flat on her back in the street. Shay stopped leaning. At about that point, Richard picked up his duffel bag, walked around the front of the car, threw his duffel bag in the car, and right before he got in the passenger seat, looked at me and asked, "'Don't you want to come?' I said an emphatic no. He said, "'Okay, got in the seat,' and then the car, with no engine motor sounds, turned the corner towards Shay's house, and while it was turning, Alfred Hitchcock said loudly to us, "'Have a nice trip. See you in the funny papers.' I had never before had heard the expression of, "'See you in the funny papers.' As soon as the car straightened onto the street, the car, with Alfred Hitchcock and Richard in it, disappeared immediately, as quickly as it had first shown up. We Shay, Janet, and I were so freaked out that we all started running towards our home in a frantic state, but at one point we all stopped, gathered together, kind of hugging each other and feeling like deer in headlights. When we were together like that, we heard all around us, especially above us, Alfred Hitchcock's voice laughing and laughing. After a minute or two of that low, sinister laugh, it stopped, and we felt released and ran on. For the past almost fifty years, I have kept my eyes open to anything that might explain the incident. Janet and I have told the story through the years we have not been in touch with Shay, so I don't know if she has spoken of it since we all left Mexico. I've asked many people what they thought, and only once when I went to a seance that a friend had organized, did the medium tell me it was an alien abduction when I explained the experience to her after she did a reading of the group. That never felt right to me, but I don't know. In 2008, I ran across a Reuters article on the torture of sleep deprivation that shamed our country in Gitmo with terrorist prisoners. I was teaching Introduction to Psychology and a course called The Psychology of Dreams at our nearby university, so I read much about sleep, 
dreams and the effect sleep deprivation has on the psyche. The article was about the sleep deprivation of Bin Laden's driver, Salem Hamden. The article described how Hamden was tortured by being deprived of sleep for 50 days. I read on and was blown away when I read two paragraphs in that article that stood out for me. The first read, they also said the records indicated Hamden and other prisoners at the remote detention camp in southeastern Cuba were visited by someone called Alfred Hitchcock, apparently over the British master of psychological thriller films who died in 1980. Later in the article under the heading, Who Was Alfred Hitchcock? it read, Defense lawyers said they were curious about the meaning of entries in the documents that Alfred Hitchcock had visited Hamden and other prisoners. Who Alfred Hitchcock is, I have no idea, said Navy Lieutenant Commander Brian Miser, a defense lawyer. It's obviously a code name for something. I have not found any further strange information about Alfred Hitchcock, but the incident that happened to us happened in 1974, and Alfred Hitchcock was alive at that time. I don't think I ever thought it was the real Alfred Hitchcock, nor a ghost of one, but a duplicate in some strange way. This entire incident was experienced by my sister, Janet, her friend, Shay, and me, while several other witnesses were a part of the experience at certain points. My older sister, Louise, my mother, and our maid, Anna, met Richard and witnessed some of his strange behaviors reading minds and making a pyramid out of salt. I would just like to know if anyone out there has any idea what it may have been about. I had most of my out-of-science experiences there in Puebla, and I have always wondered if it is a place where magical types of things happen. Even when I go back to visit my older sister, nephew, and his family, I have strange things happen, so I don't think it was a thing of youth, but rather of place. That is interesting to me. I am a licensed professional counselor LPCS and educator in Texas with three master's degrees. My sister Janet is a veterinarian and a paramedic here in Texas, and my sister Louise has a PhD and teaches at a university in Mexico. I think we could be considered credible.